Morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Discipleship Hour. Uh, you know, it's the first Sunday of 2024. Everybody's got, you know, probably dreams and aspirations for the year. So we figured we'd start off talking about funerals. Um, you know, good, uh, uplifting topic. But um, we're continuing uh, our Finishing Well series, talking about um, finishing the Christian life um, well, which means um, in faith, in uh, trusting Christ. And um, so naturally, we, we've talked about some of the, we went through Packer's book, we talked about some of the big picture things. Naturally, you know, thinking about finishing well raises the topic of um, death and dying and death and funerals. So we're going to spend um, this week and, and next talking about funerals, and then we'll spend two weeks talking about issues related to the body, right? Um, the body. How, how do we think about the aging body? Um, but this week, I, I'm going to kind of um, lay a foundation for thinking about um, funerals. Uh, there's, there's a lot we could talk about, and um, only, we only have so much time. So I'm going to try to uh, lay out some big picture things today. Um, next Sunday, I hope to get into some more particulars about funerals in, in terms of what could a order of service look like, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, be thinking of questions you might have. I know there's a lot of questions that come up around uh, funerals and caring for the, the dead and all of that. If you have questions, um, let me know. There's also a QR code on the back of your handout. You could scan that. There's an online form. You could submit um, feedback questions there. We might be able to address them in the class. If not, we can talk one-on-one, -on -one, but um, don't be afraid to ask. Um, there's a lot of important things to, to think about in, on this issue. Let me pray for us um, as we begin. Our Father in heaven, we ask for your help this morning as we, we talk about a, what can be sometimes a difficult topic, something we, we often don't um, talk about or think about, but we pray we pray for your help. We pray that you would give us wisdom. We pray that you would uh, stir up our hope in the, the certain hope of our resurrection with Jesus Christ our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, why talk about this? I kind of joked at the beginning, you know, first Sunday of the year, um, and, you know, what a great topic. It is a, a topic, death, dying, Funerals are, are topics we generally don't talk much about, right? Um, it, you know, if you just meet somebody new at the at the company Christmas party, you don't immediately start asking, you know, tell me about the last funeral you went to. Um, we just don't do that. Um, let me give you three reasons why why we're talking about this today. Um, number one, death is inevitable. Um, not not a a new uh, piece of information for you, I know, but um, eventually every human being dies. And that raises a, a practical, um, death creates a practical necessity. Something has to be done with the body. And so just naturally there's, okay, it, it raises the questions of funerals or just um, something about what do we do with the body. And, and that's true. The body needs to be moved fairly quickly from um, the place of death to its resting place. And that's true whether um, 
the person is is uh, chose traditional burial or cremation or or whatever. Um, so there's a practical necessity, and it's not a uniquely Christian concern, right? Um, it's a universal human concern. What do we do with our dead? Um, every human society has recognized the need to do something with the bodies of the dead. And um, uh, reverent care of the body after death is just a, a basic human responsibility. And um, now, with that said, it's a general human concern. We want to think about it Christianly. Um, but not only is death inevitable, um, humans are ritual creatures. We, um, we develop rituals to give order and meaning to life. And you can just think about this at a very practical level. Um, how many of you set, set an alarm clock to, to, wake, to wake you during the week? So, um, you know, let's say your Monday through Friday alarm. Is it set for the same time in general? I mean, maybe some days are different, but you don't like one day set it for, you know, on Mondays it's set for 6 a.m., on Tuesdays it's set for uh, 6.12 a.m., Wednesdays it's set for 7.45, no? Why? We're ritual creatures. That Now, some of it's practical if you get up at 7.45 when you should have got up at 6, you know, you're going to be late. But we're ritual creatures. We depend on order, repetition, to give order and meaning to life. And, it, and it's true you know, at, at broader levels. We, we celebrate births, and there's certain customs and rituals that, that we have as Americans around uh, birth. We, um, birthday parties, graduation ceremonies, weddings, um, anniversary celebrations, retirements. You know, there's, there's these kind of rituals that mark significant milestones in life that, that we engage in. And death is no different. Um, funerals or just some kind of ceremony marking death is, um, you know, a universal. And um, humans have always engaged in these kinds of rituals uh, to mark a very significant milestone in, in life, that being death. There's a, a third reason, uh, the blessedness of mourning. That's not um, typically how we would think about mourning, equating it with blessedness. But I, I had printed on your handout there a passage from Matthew and a passage from Ecclesiastes. Um, Ecclesiastes 7.2 says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Um, and notice that the emphasis there, it's, it's better. It's kind of a strange thing to say, right? It's better to go to the house of mourning, it's better to go to a, a funeral than to uh, um, you know, some kind of celebration. Now, the author of Ecclesiastes is not denying the value of celebration. In fact, he commends it. Um, all throughout Ecclesiastes. But there's a kind of a, a certain type of feasting that he might be critiquing here. There's kind of a foolish, frivolous uh, celebration. But, but even that aside, there's a, why is it better to go to the house of mourning than to a celebration? In part, he tells us, says, For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. 
there's a perspective. Um, this is one of, of many things that could be said about a funeral. But um, there's a perspective that the mourners gain at a funeral. Um, we'll talk a little bit later about how we as Americans tend to um, be a, a death-averse culture. Uh, death is taboo for, for the most part in our culture. Uh, funerals just kind of confront us with the reality of our mortality. And um, Ecclesiastes says uh, the living will lay it to heart. They'll... they'll um, give thought to their mortality. And some of you I know have read um, a book by David Gibson, uh, Living Life Backwards, and this is the idea. Um, taking account of the fact that we are mortal beings helps us live a wise and godly life. Um, might seem counterintuitive, but you have to come to terms with the fact that you're mortal in order to live well. So there's there's... That aspect of, of blessedness, Jesus um, in the Beatitudes says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And again, you notice an emphasis here like in Ecclesiastes, blessed are those who mourn. Um, Luke's version of this Beatitude says, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Um, I, I like that emphasis of just... there's, you know, weeping gives way to just joyous laughter. Why why is the person who mourns now, um, the Christian who mourns now, blessed? And that that word blessed, it's it's, uh, the word that's translated blessed. It's difficult to bring into English. Um, It's really this idea of total well-being. Happy captures part of it, but doesn't really go deep enough. Um, One... Uh, scholar uses the word flourish. Flourishing are those who mourn. Um, why? And notice Jesus grounds the blessedness in the fact that there will be, he grounds it in the hope of a great reversal. Notice, blessed are those who, who mourn, and we could say who mourn now, for they shall, future, they shall be comforted. There's a, a day coming when all causes for mourning will be overcome. When Christ returns and makes everything new and the dead in Christ are raised to life, um, all mourning will be gone. And so uh, Jesus pronounces a blessing on those who mourn now because we mourn as Christians in hope of this great reversal that's coming when death is put to death fully and finally forever. And so there's, um, you know... uh, we shouldn't shy away from talking about death and, and today, like we're talking about funerals. Um, one uh, commentator says, the, the future triumph of God, not the present misery of humanity, determines what true happiness is, um, however covert its operation in this present age. So all this means um, it's good and, and healthy for us and helpful for us to think about um, what is in some ways unpleasant, uh, to- an unpleasant topic, but uh, dying death and how we mark um, death. So um, think about all the planning that we put into things like preparing for the birth of a child. Right, Caleb? <laughs> He's any day now. Uh, his wife is going to give birth. There's all this planning, usually, that goes into the birth of a child, getting things ready. Think about um, planning for um, a wedding. 
all the, you know, the checklists and everything that needs to be taken care of. Um, and we give comparatively little thought to um, marking what is just as significant, if not more so, than these other events. Um, and so, um, so that's part of the reason we're talking about it today. Now, um, that's the why, why we're talking about this. And let me say that funerals in general, and I'm kind of using the word funeral as a, a broad term for um, just how we mark death. I'll, I'll point out some distinctions between uh, different, you know, w- difference between a funeral and a memorial service a little later. But funerals in general and Christian funerals in particular have fallen on hard times. Um, and so we're going to talk about whatever happened to the Christian funeral. I want to spend some time uh, thinking about this. Um, let me give a few caveats as we start to talk about this. Um, I'm going to gently critique um, some aspects of the way we as Americans and as American Christians um, do funerals and memorial services. And I'm, I said gently, because I really do intend to do it gently, um, and I realize this is a sensitive topic, okay? Uh, and um, we each bring our own experiences with, with funerals, with death, with memorial services. We bring our own experiences um, to bear on this. Some of us have had very positive experiences with these things, and I'm not intending to undermine the significance of your experience of maybe funerals you've been a part of, you've had a hand in planning, or uh, relatives, loved ones have have put on. Um, I'm not going to say there's one right way to do a funeral or a memorial service, so don't don't worry about that. I think variety is possible depending on family, local customs, uh, so forth. Um, but within all of that variety, I do think there is a, a, um, a way to do funerals, memorial services, etc. in a Christian way. Um, and my intent here is, is not to make anyone feel bad about funerals you've been a part of or planned or, or anything like that. Um, in some sense, we're all doing the best we can, you know, when it comes to these things. A death happens, usually it's um, unexpected, even if we knew it was coming. It catches us off guard, and um, we're scrambling to, to do something, to put a service together. We're doing the best we can, and, and as I mentioned, our culture is squeamish about death. We don't talk about these things, and so um, many of us really don't have good models to work from because it's just kind of something that we we ignore and so we're just when a death happens we're scrambling to um just kind of develop something put together some kind of service that that um uh shows some honor to the dead and and glorifies the lord so i'm not intending to make anyone feel bad here okay um but i do think that um and i'm speaking broadly here not about any one person or or group I do think we've uncritically embraced um, certain cultural practices that that really um, fail to embody our core Christian beliefs, and and um, particularly our beliefs around 
death and, re- and the hope of resurrection. And, and I'm not talking just maybe to alleviate some, some fears here or questions. I'm not talking specifically about the question of burial versus cremation. I know that's a, it's an important question. I'm not talking about that, actually. That's not what I, what I mean by uncritically embracing certain cultural customs. Um, I'm kind of talking about the whole package, the, the way we approach this. And so my goal in talking about whatever happened at the Christian funerals is to just kind of plant some seeds of ideas to get you thinking. Um, I'd, I'd be very happy if we all just give thought to um, why we do what we do to mark death and, and how we do it. As long as you're giving thought to it and trying to bring um, your Christian faith to bear on it, I'm happy with that. I've got ideas about how I think these things should look, but um, I'm just very happy if people give it some forethought and, and um, some planning before uh, that day comes. So whatever happened to the Christian funeral, there's a a trend, and I don't mean like trendiness, I mean just a kind of a things, a practice that has developed over time um, that um, many people have observed. I mean, the, the National uh, Funeral Directors Association is very conscious of this, that fewer Americans are attending funerals. Um, and it's not a new process in a sense. Um, really, um, those who have studied this can trace it back to, they can see the beginnings of it right around um, the, the aftermath of the Civil War. And, and then it really gained steam maybe 60, 70 years ago, um, where um, fewer Americans are attending funerals and people are more likely um, to, to go to the visitation if there is one. And I know in some ways that's kind of depends on the region of the country you're in, whether there is a visitation. But people are more likely to go to a visitation and skip the funeral. So fewer Americans attending funerals. Um, Many people are opting not to have any kind of service whatsoever. So I've got um, several members of, of my extended family that just didn't want anything um, for when they died. And, and that's, become, that's becoming um, more and more common. And when there is a service, um, it, it's typically um, a celebration of life or a memorial service now, not a funeral in the traditional sense of, of the word. And so just to so we know some of these terms, a funeral typically refers to a service where the body is present or the cremated remains are present. Memorial service, celebration of life, um, there's no body. There's no, no cremated remains. There's, the body's absent. And so um, memorial services are really becoming the norm. That's not true, um, you know, depending on uh, the culture, depending on the, the part of the country you're in, things vary. But um, by and large, memorial, memorial services are becoming the norm. And, and the key point about that is there, there's no, the dead are not there. And so uh, Thomas Long, who's um, written extensively about Christian funerals and recovering kind of classic Christian, Christian practice, he said this is the first generation where the dead are not welcome at their own service. Um, it's really a, 
For some of us, this is all we've ever known. And so we're thinking, what do you mean? It's always been like this. Um, Some of you may remember a time where things were a little different, um, practiced a little differently. But it's a significant development. Now, I'm not necessarily saying all of that's a problem. Um, Let me describe here kind of what is typical contemporary practice. Um, And again, not true of all Christian traditions. Um, It is true for the most part for... Reformed uh, evangelicals, particularly white suburban reformed evangelicals, um, you know the African American community—they're not going to do things this way. Uh, Filipino community typically doesn't do the things this way. Mexican community typically doesn't do the things this way. But um, uh, this is a fairly typical scenario for for many of us. Um, it's a memorial service instead of a funeral, like I said. Um, It's oriented around remembering the person who died, um, typically held many days, maybe even weeks or months after um, the individual died, and and there's there's no body there. There's no remains there. Um, It's highly personalized service. So, um, you know, typically themed around the, the deceased's hobbies or interests. So if you know, the person who died was big into golf. You know, there's going to be maybe de- decor that that um, brings out the idea of, of golf and golf courses, and maybe a lot of the stories that are told will will be revolve around golf or, or cooking or whatever the person was into. Um, there's a, a focus on the deceased's life story. So... Um, Often multiple speakers get up and share remembrances of of the person who died and maybe things that stood out to them about the person. Um, you know, it's kind of orient the service is kind of oriented around eulogizing um, the the dead, and there's an emphasis on joy and celebration um, rather than sadness and mourning. And and then the final kind of characteristic private disposition of the body, and by that I mean um, you know, if, if there's a burial or something like that, um, it's typically just immediate family, maybe a few close friends, and it's often, it takes place before the memorial service. So it's not a public thing that, like, the church community would come to or, or a wider group would come to. Now, I'm just describing this. Um, and again, some of us, we've never known anything different. And so... You might be thinking, well, what, what's, why you, what's the big deal? Well, um, let me describe in general historic Christian practice just to help you see that things have changed, and change isn't necessarily bad. Um, but let me, let me give you just an outline of historic Christian practice that um, really was enforced, developed by at least the the 4th century and very common throughout many different parts of the world, different cultures. Um, it was even true in, in our own country up until about the, the turn of the 20th century. Um, even non-religious American funerals resembled what I'm about to, to describe here. And um, kind of historic Christian practice around funerals really had three steps, okay? Um, so step one, preparation. And in the, in the preparation step, um, typically women from the family or the community 
would um, lay the body, after a person dies, they would lay the body on a table or a bed, typically in the deceased's home, and they would wash the body. They would um, wash it often while singing hymns and praying out loud. Um, and this is actually still done in certain Jewish communities. They recite verses from Song of Songs, from Song of Solomon. Um, but uh, they would dress the body in clothing representing baptism, so typically white, white clothing, and, and then you know, comb the hair, clean the fingernails, um, and, and dress the person appropriately. And meanwhile, during this preparation phase, um, others, typically the men, would go and dig the grave in um, either a, a family cemetery, which were fairly common if the, if the people owned land, or the town cemetery, church cemetery, um, somewhere. Um, got ahead of myself. And then after you know, the body was prepared, it was moved to the front parlor of the house and maybe put in a, in a coffin. So a coffin is, typically today we use caskets. A coffin is a six-sided box, um, casket, four-sided, but brought to the front parlor of the house and um, family and friends would sit beside the body, um, again, sing, singing, praying, crying, chatting. Uh, children ran in and out of the room. The parents weren't, you know, squeamish about their children being up close and, and personal with death. Um, the body was surrounded with candles and flowers. Primarily, I mean, it looks pretty, but it also serves the practical purpose of kind of warding off the, the scent um, from the decomposing corpse. And then um, depending on you know, the family and local customs, the body stayed at the house for anywhere between one to three days um, while, while family and friends gathered. Um, so that's the first step. The second is a processional. And in, the, in this step, the, the, the body is, is wrapped in some kind of linen, shroud, something. Um, if it hadn't been already, it's placed in a coffin. And a group of fellow Christians carried the coffin from the home um, to carried it on their shoulders to wherever this person is going to be buried, whether that's the family cemetery or church, town cemetery. Again, during this procession, psalms are, are recited. Songs and hymns are, are sung. Prayers are offered. Silence um, was observed. And... You know, depending on the context, there may be a stop at the church along the way for, for prayers, for reading of scripture. And then the final, um, it would look, let me give you two photos. Um, it would look something like this. This is from the 40s. So this kind of thing still happened in the 20th century. Um, this is Ireland in the 60s. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about, the processional part. Um, and then the final step uh, was the burial. So family, friends, the Christian community would gather at the graveside. There'd be a brief ceremony led by the, the pastor of the church. There would be prayers. There would be scripture readings. There would be a short message centered on the, the hope of resurrection. And then the pastor would commend the deceased to God. And the, the others in attendance would... Um, say their farewells to the deceased. Often, in many church traditions, there's kind of a, a typical phrase that was used. Um, May you live in God, rejoice forever. 
Um, some church traditions, the, those in attendance, if the, ca- if the casket was still open before it was put in the ground, they'd even kiss the forehead of, of the deceased. Kind of the, the holy kiss, the last opportunity. Um, and then the coffin was lowered into the ground. So that, that three-step process is kind of, you can find that across the board throughout the world in Christian communities. Obviously, with local variations and, and you know, some steps more elaborate than others and other aspects added to it, but, but these three basic um, movements. In, in fact, um, I read a, an account from a, an Egyptian Christian woman um, who lives here in the U.S. now, and she described their practices, the Christian community's practice there in Egypt, and it, it was almost identical to to this, um, and she's speaking contemporary. Um, what are some things that stand out to you about this in general, this um, process, compared to maybe um, what you've experienced at, at funerals and memorial services? Yeah, go ahead, Andrew. Yeah, as opposed to Yeah, the, the body, the remains play a big role in the service. Um, notice how involved family, friends, church community is um, really every step of the way. Um, another key thing is this idea of movement, a, a journey. We'll come back to this in a few moments, but, but that's really big here. Um, let, me, let me say a few things here. Um, why, why have things changed? And, and again, we should expect cultural practices to change over time, okay? So I'm not saying things change, therefore they're bad. That, that, that's just, if, if I didn't like change, I would have a, a suit and a tie on right now, right? Um, I'm not wearing a suit and tie. I don't like wearing suits and ties. And I'm thankful that uh, customs have changed to where the pastor standing in front of the congregation doesn't need to wear a suit and tie, at least not in this building. Um, uh, so change in itself is, is not necessarily a problem. Um, but um, some, of, some of the reasons uh, things have changed were probably good reasons. Um, there was a sense that the traditional funeral, which in the 20th century became very elaborate, but also very impersonal, there was a sense that it just was sterile. You know, you're kind of just reading a script and um, not really the person who died is almost like unimportant. It's just the script. And so people wanted to personalize it more. And that's fine. Um, but there's really more to it than that. Let me give you two, two big reasons I think things have changed. And the first has to do with certain cultural uh, factors. Um, Much of our current practice has been shaped by, um, I think, problematic thinking, cultural thinking. Um, One of them, denial of death. Um, American culture has been described as a denial of death culture. Um, uh, People from other parts of the world have said that Americans are afflicted with death anxiety. Now, every culture has a fear of death, but, but what they mean is, Americans in particular, death is a taboo topic. We don't talk about it. 
we don't want to be around it. Um, many of us don't have a lot of familiarity with it. Um, it. You can raise your hand if you want to. I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but how many of you have never been to a, a funeral or memorial service? Okay, so I'm, I know some people probably don't want to admit. Okay. They choose not to go. Yeah. That, that's very common. Um, some people, depending on your age, it may be, you may be well into your 20s, maybe even your 30s, before you um, ever see a dead body. Um, that is not normal. Um, so Amer- we don't want to be around it. We, American culture in general values youth, progress, achievement, success, and death is just like a slap across the face to all of those things, right? And so we avoid, um, we avoid death and, and things related to death. And, and let me just say, if we, if we shrink from frank acknowledgement of the reality of death, we really, in a sense, uh, diminish the, the hope of the gospel, the hope of resurrection. Um, so uh, denial of death is a factor. Also in American culture, just the emphasis on happiness and positivity. So, um, you know, you can, you can find all kinds of signs, good vibes only. Um, you know, smile, it's not that bad. Um, uh, we have a preference for happy endings. So um, many of you have seen Disney movies, and a, a number of Disney movies are based on novels. And so, for example, The Hunchback of, of Notre Dame, Notre Dame, um, the Disney version, the ending is, is quite a bit different than the novel. In the novel, it, it's like most of the main characters die, and it, they're not happy deaths, and you know the good guy doesn't get the girl, and it's really like a miserable ending. In the Disney one, Quasimodo, the hunchback, is kind of like the hero of the story. He gets the girl. He lives happily ever after. Uh, nothing like the novel. That, that's the way we like things. You know, wrapped up, happy ending, put a bow on it. Um, and so um, because of that, we, we don't know as a culture how to grieve, how to mourn. We don't really know what to do when death happens. Um, and, I, and I will say, um, secularism has left us without tools for, for dealing with death. Um, and there are some signs of change. I will say, um, people who have studied this have noticed that younger generations, millennials and younger, are less averse to talking about death than, than maybe their parents and grandparents were. Um, they're more open to, to just having frank conversations about the reality that they will die and planning um, for their funerals. There's an app called We Croak, and it has, um, yeah, it has 30,000 paid subscribers, or it did at the time of uh, this article that I read. And um, five times a day, the 30,000 subscribers get a, a notification reminding them that they will die eventually. Sounds very morbid, and it probably could be for some people, but it's this idea of them trying to remember that they're mortal, the subscribers want to remember that they're mortal creatures. 
and that um, they can't live in this alternate reality where um, death will never come for them. I, I don't subscribe to that app. I don't, <laughs> I'm not recommending that you do. But um, those are some cultural factors that, that have contributed to the change. Um, some theological factors. Let me try to move through these quickly. Um, uh, our church tradition, you know, we are Reformed Baptists. We can kind of trace back our roots to both the Reform, the Protestant Reformation and the, the English Puritans. And, um, you know, John Calvin, kind of poster boy for um, Reformed theology, he hated funerals. Not because he, he was afraid of death or anything like that, but, you know, the, the late medieval Roman Catholic Church had introduced so, many, so much superstition and abuse around death and funerals that he was like, let's just throw the whole thing out and not even do that. And so in Geneva, um, he did not permit Christians to do funerals. That's how hardcore he was about that. And that has that influenced the Reformed uh, tradition. And then, you know, the, the British, the English Puritans, both the, the British Puritans and those who crossed the Atlantic here to the U.S., um, they, they didn't really think very highly of, of funerals. Um, this is a, a quote from the Westminster Directory for Public Worship. Um, this is, you know, a, kind of an appendix to the Westminster Confession of Faith. And they said, when any person departs this life, let the dead body on the day of burial be decently attended from the house to the place appointed for public burial, and there immediately interred without any ceremony. So they said, just get the body in the ground, don't, don't make a fuss. And it goes on to say, funerals are in no way beneficial to the dead and have in many ways proved hurtful to the living. Therefore, let all such things be laid aside. So, so again, they're, they're reacting to abuses that were very common in their day in both the Roman Catholic Church and in the Anglican Church, I would say it's an overreaction. Um, and, and so that, that kind of suspicion of funerals and all the, the ritual that goes along with it, that, that shaped us theologically in some ways, whether we're aware of it or not. So that, that's one factor. Um, another theological factor, distorted views of the body. Now Craig's going to set us straight about the body in a couple weeks. But, um, you know, some, some distorted views of the body that are very prev- prevalent in our Reformed evangelical circles. Um, one, the body's unimportant. Um, so, you know, you'll hear things like, the body is less important than the soul. Um, the body is just a shell. It's not the real me. Um, uh, what matters is getting my soul to heaven, not what happens to my body. Um, those are... Those are some ideas that, that contribute to this. The body is unimportant. Um, related to that, the idea, um, very common, uh, we've talked about it before, um, many Christians believe, think, I wouldn't say they believe it, it's just maybe default. They think, when they think of the future, when they think of eternity, they imagine some kind of disembodied state. So just kind of, you know, you die and you float up into the ether, and maybe you get to sit on the clouds and, um, you know, strum a harp or something like that. Um, But a disembodied future, when in reality the hope that the Bible holds out to us is that these mortal bodies will be changed, transformed, 
and swallowed up by life, resurrection life. The future for us as Christians is embodied, physical, material, in a, in a material world, a new, renewed earth. And so um, bodies matter to God. Uh, they matter so much that he took a human body to himself in the incarnation. Jesus Christ, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, will exist for all of eternity future in a human body. And he will raise and renew these physical bodies one day. And so, you know, if, if our thinking is the bodies don't matter, you know, what matters is the soul, that's the real me, and, and you know, I can't wait to be uh, set free from this prison house is a, a common way of thinking. Then, of course, you know, rituals around marking death, and, and as Andrew pointed out, that are very um, centered on the, the physical material, the, the physical remains, obviously those aren't going to be important if, if you don't think the body is important. So distorted views of the body, distorted views of death. And um, here's what I mean, um, not regarding death as an enemy. Now, we're Christian people, and we would say, okay, I, I recognize death as an enemy. In the broader culture, you might hear things like, well, death's a natural part of life. It's certainly a part of life. As I said earlier, death is inevitable. We're all going to die, um, barring Christ's second coming happening before we die. Um, but it's not natural. Death is a, a hideous monster with gaping jaws seeking to consume every single one of us. It's an intrusion into God's good creation, good creation, a result of sin. It's not a friend. It's not normal. It's not natural. It's an enemy. Now, again, we're Christian people, so we can kind of Christianize that, that thinking, death's natural. We'll say, well, at least, you know, speaking of a, a person who's died, at least they're with Jesus. On the one hand, well, I should say, there's truth to that, right? They're with Jesus. Um, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. They're with Jesus. But often that, that thinking, that statement, is used to kind of trivialize what happens when someone dies. Um, it's a failure to appreciate the, the enormity of what occurs when the body and soul are, are torn apart from each other. Um, Yes, as Christian people, we have the, the trust, the hope, the confidence, the joy that when we die, death is sort of like a doorway into further life with Christ as we await the resurrection. That doesn't diminish the fact that death is an enemy, that it's a hideous monster, not to mention the fallout for the people left behind. Um, Nicholas Walterstorff, he's a, a um, I don't, Maybe he's retired now. He was a professor of theology at Yale for many years. Um, his adult son, I think his son was about 24, his name was Eric, died tragically in a rock climbing accident. And Walter Storff wrote a book um, called Lament for a Son, um, just with very brief, very good, it's hard to read, 
but it, it, it's his reflections on wrestling with death and grief. And he said, you know, after his son died, he'd have many well-meaning friends, Christian friends, tell him, but, but Eric's in a better place. Eric's with the Lord. And, and he's like, look, um, none of that was ever in question for me. If I was questioning the reality of, of the gospel and, and um, that the dead in Christ go to be with Christ as they await the resurrection, that would be a whole other set of problems. He's like, that wasn't my problem. The problem is nothing will ever bring Eric back to us. There's this gaping hole. He called it the void of absence. And so when we say, well, at least they're with Jesus, we're, we're just minimizing the, the ripple effect of, of someone's death. Um, all right, I need to move on. Um, those are some of the reasons, I think, um, for this dramatic change in the way Christians have practiced um, marking death over the last few generations. Um, I will say, I, I mentioned already, but just to reinforce, I think some of the changes are positive. The introducing a, a more um, personal aspect to the service, I think, is a good thing, and avoid some of the inform or the the formals, kind of sterile formality. I mean, funerals, memorial services, by nature, are a formal affair. But um, you know, bringing in personal anecdotes, stories, remembrances, I think, are good. Um, a recognition that, that funerals, memorial services don't have to be these like grand, elaborate, highly expensive affairs, I think is another positive development. Um, but I do think this transition from, um, which I'll describe in a moment, that historic Christian practice to kind of these more general celebrations of life, often devoid of any real particular theology, um, I think they've obscured our gospel hope. Um, not to mention, um, you know, for those who are grieving, um, it's hard to, to stomach the idea that they should be celebrating um, at that moment. Yes, joy should be a part of a Christian funeral. Not saying, we'll, we'll talk more about that next time. But um, that's a little bit about what happened to the Christian funeral. Um, Who's regretting coming to uh, discipleship hour this week? <laughs> let me um, let me try to talk f- for a few minutes. We're almost out of time. About what is a Christian funeral for? I, I, I there's a lot to say here. I'm just going to kind of give you a, a big kind of overarching idea. We'll flesh it out some more next week. But what is a Christian funeral for? Next week we'll talk about. Um, the Christian funeral as a witness to the resurrection, as you know, a, a gospel-centered, hope-proclaiming, death-defying um, celebration. I think we can say celebration of of the risen Christ and and the the dead Christian's story being caught up into Christ's story. But um, let me let me give you something more basic here. Now, for you can raise your hand if you want. I know most of you probably don't want to. But for many of you, I'm assuming what I've described, what I described as kind of that three-step um, historic Christian practice, probably sounds very strange, right? 
parts of it sound really strange to me. I'm, I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and I'm not saying we need to do it, all, all that I described. I'm not, not saying that. Um, a lot of it might, be, might sound unnecessary to us. Um, we've kind of been taught, um, just by custom, that the purpose of uh, a funeral is to hear a few inspiring words to kind of help us process our grief. And certainly helping those who mourn um, put their hope in Christ as a part of what goes on at a funeral. But, but historically, Christians have understood the purpose of a funeral to be more than that. And historically, um, Christians have understood funerals, they've constructed funerals around the metaphor of pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. Now, you know the Bible describes the Christian life as a pilgrimage, right? All of us in Christ are pilgrims on, the, on a pilgrimage, on the way, on a journey to the celestial city. If you've read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, you know he, that, that whole book is, is built around that idea. Um, 1 Peter 2.11 Peter calls us sojourners and exiles. That's pilgrim language. Um, Hebrews 13, 14. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We're pilgrims on, on the way to the celestial city. Our pilgrimage has a beginning and an end. We set out on this journey when we come to faith in Christ. And this journey, this pilgrimage, comes to an end um, at death. And the early Christians saw the funeral as, um, Thomas Long describes it this way, as the last mile of our earthly pilgrimage. And here's what they meant. Um, throughout the Christian life, we're on this journey, this pilgrimage, but we don't do it alone. It's a community journey. We, we walk this path with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with our fellow pilgrims. And in the funeral procession, the Christian community travels that la the last mile of the way with the deceased. Uh, that's why I said that idea of movement, journey, very important. Um, let me give you a quote. Uh, this is from um, a document from the 4th century, um, very prominent Christian document giving instructions to churches about how to handle various aspects of church life, and it talks about funerals. It says, in the, in the funerals of the departed, accompany them with singing, if they were faithful in Christ. For precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Notice this phrase, accompany them with singing. It, they're envisioning, these early Christians are envisioning a movement um, in the funerals as they're, as they're traveling the path from the place of death to the place where that body is going to be laid to rest. Accompany them with singing. Uh, John uh, Chrysostom, 4th, 4th, 5th century uh, famous preacher. Um, us pastors still read his sermons and glean insights from his commentaries. Um, he said, Weep then at the death of a dear one as if you were bidding farewell to one setting out on a journey. You see that pilgrimage language again. The, the dead are setting out on a journey, that final last mile where they, they go to the presence of God. Um, and so historically Christians have seen the, the funeral as a very dramatic um, kind of enactment of all of that. I'm going to give you an extended quote here. I've broken it up into a couple slides. 
Um, because it's from Thomas Long. He says it better than I ever could. Um, this idea of the the um, funeral as kind of the Christian community traveling with the deceased to the, the last leg of the way. Um, and historically, baptism and funerals have been closely linked in, in symbolism. So let me give you, he's going to talk about that. Um, he says, if baptism is a form of worshipful drama performed at the beginning of the Christian life, a funeral is or should be an equally dramatic and symmetrical performance of worship performed at the end of life. So basically saying, look, um, we, can, we can treat Christian funerals as an act of worship. Um, when Christians traveling along the baptismal path die, all of us, baptized Christians on pilgrimage, when we die, the company of the faithful who were there to guide them at the beginning are also there to carry them at the end. In baptism, new Christians are buried with Christ by baptism into death, and they come up from the waters raised to walk in newness of life. He's quoting Romans 6.4. In funerals, these same Christians, having traveled the pilgrim way, are once again buried with Christ in death in the sure confidence that they will be raised to new life. Um, the, The symbolism in our baptisms of being buried with Christ really comes to its its completion in our physical death. We're, we're united with Christ in his death in a, in a, in a very real way. Um, in baptism, the faithful sang them into this new way of life. Now they gather around to sing them to God in death. Just as they washed the new Christian in the waters of baptism, they now lovingly washed the body of the deceased. Um, Just as they adorn the newly baptized Christian with the garments of Christ, they now adorn the deceased in clothes symbolizing their baptism. Um, As the church has been traveling with the baptized saint along the road of faith, the church now walks with the deceased on the last mile of the way to the place of farewell. Uh, The funeral, then, is not just a collection of inspiring words said on the occasion of someone's death. This is the last part. It is rather a dramatic event in which the church acts out what it believes to be happening from the perspective of faith. I know that's a lot uh, there. But um, historically, Christians have seen funerals as as a big deal. Um, Not that they need to be elaborate, expensive performances or anything like that. But... Um, they've seen because we confess as, as Christians that we have been united to Christ, um, buried with him in death, and we will be raised with him in life. Um, funerals have been a, an opportunity to, to show that, both um, with our words, what we say at a funeral, but also what we do at a funeral. And um, I'm going to wrap this up. But let me say, I'm not saying I think we all should, you know, if a family member dies, we should handle, all, handle the body ourselves. I'm not saying, that's not, that's what many people do. I'm not saying that's what you need to do. Um, what I am trying to do is help you to see that maybe what we've become very accustomed to is maybe... Um, gospel deficient. Um, It's maybe a little too, um, it doesn't tap in enough to what we believe as Christians about 
the hope of uh, resurrection and and all that um, that a death means and and can be symbolized. Um, there's a there's a big gap between what Christians have historically done and what most contemporary Christians um, do now in terms of funerals. And um, I'm just trying to plant some seeds to try to close that gap a little bit. I, I don't really care exactly how you all do a funeral, um, you know, the particulars. Um, but but if we can kind of recover some of the, the Christian... Um, practice of marking death, I think we would do well. And I'm going to talk next week a little more specifically about what um, what a funeral service could look like. Um, obviously, some of the things that I described, the, the procession from the home to the church and all that, like some of that's just impractical, you know, depending on where you live and where the church is located and where the cemetery is or wherever the remains are going to be interred. Um, so some of that, you know, we have to take into account, you know, um, what's practical, what's doable, what's reasonable. But um, next time we'll we'll talk a little bit about the funeral, the mood of the funeral, and how in a Christian funeral we're kind of shaking our fist at death and saying, "You don't win." Ultimately, um, we proclaim our, our hope in Christ, resurrection hope. Um, let me let me finish. Uh, we got two minutes. See if anybody wants to weigh in. If not, maybe give it some thought. You can weigh in next time. Um, what changes in practice have you witnessed in your own lifetime? If any. Let me, let me get Eamon and then uh, Caleb. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I know your background, cultural background, and I would say, like, your cultural background, this would be much more common, uh, what, you know, that the older way of doing things. Um, Caleb, were you going to? Yeah, so I was born on the East Coast, lived there till I was 12, and um, I didn't go to a ton of funerals while I was there, but um, it seemed like that was just the norm. Um, and then we moved to California, and it's certainly not the norm. Now, I've been to funerals, I've officiated funerals here where, where the, the body is present and even an open casket, but it's, um, it's rare. Um, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that I 
didn't talk about burial and cremation, but that's certainly a big development. Um, I think in 1980, the cremation rate was something like maybe 10%. Um, as of 2023, it's like 60%. It's projected to be over 80% by um, 2045. I might talk about that a bit next week. I'm not sure. Uh, anyone? Yeah, Maria. Thank you. Uh, let me, I think Stephanie had her hand up and then we'll need to close, but. So just for adults, for the most part. Yeah. Um, we don't have time for this. I was going to close on a more positive uh, question about how, what, when have you seen funerals done well and what stood out to you? I'm going to let you just think about that for the coming week. Maybe I'll give you some time uh, to share next Sunday. Um, again, I know this is you know, kind of a somber topic, but I, I do think we have an opportunity as Christians to kind of recover a more robust uh, Christian practice of, of marking death that can... Um, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, a funeral is a very small thing. When somebody dies, it's, it doesn't make things better. Not, not intending to say that it does, but, but we can, I think, but through recovering a more robust Christian practice, we can certainly um, uh, give expression to our, our confidence in Christ.
and our hope of the resurrection and um, mourn and grieve in a way that, that um, we can give space for mourning and grieving while still rejoicing in Christ. So uh, a little more on that next time. Um, I'll pray and then we'll be finished. Our Father in heaven, um, we thank you that we do have the, the sure and certain hope of resurrection together with Christ in the future. We thank you that um, Jesus, in his death on the cross, has dealt a death blow to sin and death. We wait and long for and look expectantly for that day when uh, Jesus, the risen Jesus, will, will finally uh, banish death forever. We pray that you would help us to, to think wisely about um, how to mark our deaths, uh, the deaths of um, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we, we ask for your help, that you would uh, help us to glorify you and, and proclaim the risen Christ, even in our, our rituals around death. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.